He does have a plan. He always has a plan. So in this series, um, less, part of the reason why we have less people on a platform and doing uh, things a little bit differently is uh, really the concept, the idea is I really believe this is a word for the Lord for the season that we're in, is that the Lord wants us to get to a point where less is more. Um, a little stripping down, so to speak, I think that we have in our culture, um, we're so oversensitized. So many things are coming in so many different directions that we feel like even in church we have to do all of that in order to really have an encounter with Jesus. But the reality is the only thing we need to have an encounter with Jesus is a surrender to Jesus, and then that happens, right? There's nothing major that needs to take place. And as I was talking, it popped up. And so uh, not that I necessarily needed it because I was about to go, but uh, we're all good. And so we're, this series really is about that. The last couple of weeks we talked about um, just, again, it was less... Um, selfless, two weeks in a row, selfless and oh, selfless and selfless. Uh, today we're going to do in the same sermon, fearless, fearless. Um, if I could say it this way, I just believe that we're in a time where the Lord wants the church to do things fearlessly. We have operated so many times, and I think a lot of us, and we get to the point where everything is like, now we're trying to play it safe. And we've played it safe for a really, really long time. And what we have as a result of playing it safe for a really, really long time is a culture that is dying, desperate. They're in pain. I saw, I saw this uh, crazy to me statistically regarding psychiatric care. It says the average child today, this is average child, like a normal kid, like my Nathan. The average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. It's pretty wild, right? There's this massive amount of anxiety that we're dealing with in our culture today. And we walk and live by fear. And all, all the things that we do seem to be based on fear. As a matter of fact, the things we don't do are based by, on fear. There's this movie called The Little Giants. And it is a football movie, so to speak. So you're all not surprised at all that I'm bringing this up. But in this movie, The Little Giants, all these kids who are not good athletes were about to come and play for this team. They, were not, they weren't picked. So they weren't chosen by the good team, so the brother of the good coach decided, I'm going to put... It's, you know this isn't real life, right? This would never happen. Like the, the one who played football, who's a great coach, puts his team together, cuts all these kids, and then this kid guy who never played football in his life, doesn't know anything about it, puts together a team of misfits, and then they beat the other team. That would never happen in real life. But it's what happened in the Little Giants. But there's this scene in the movie where they're all shown to the practice, and there's this little scrawny kid, little nerdy kid, walking in like this, and his mom wrapped him in literally foam everywhere because she's afraid of what might happen to him. And I feel like sometimes, that's, that's, I think that's probably why we deal with so much anxiety now, is that we've coddled a generation so much so that when things happen that are unexpected or they're hard, they don't know how to handle it. So there's this massive, amounts of, massive amount of anxiety. We need to learn, or they need to learn how to handle things. But that's up to us to be able to do that when it comes to our kids. But I think it's the same thing with the church. I think the church sometimes becomes paralyzed because we're afraid that we take risk. How it's not going to work out. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. And I think really the Lord has put in my heart that, that especially to all of us here today, I want you to hear this. There's going to come a time soon. And I don't know what it is yet, just so you know. I'm not like telling you what I, that I know something. I just had this urgency, the Lord speaking in my heart, that we're going to be asked to take risks to do things we normally would not do. And that when we do, this is a, a word ahead of time, listen to what the Lord is saying. That word that was spoken this morning regarding pride and fear was right on. He didn't know what I was going to preach today. I'm going to talk about fear. Pride and fear are connected. There's a connection. Pride wants to control out of insecurity. 
right? I want to control because I don't want to lose what I have or I don't want to lose my audience or I don't want to lose this or lose that. So I got to control and pride rises up and I got to make sure that I'm seen, that people know who I am in order to do that. Well, fear operates very much the same way. Fear can be a very gripping thing. Fear can stop us, paralyze us from doing anything at all, from making any decisions, forever moving forward. But at the same time, fear can like cause us to do things that are mean and harsh and rude in order to not lose control. You ever work with somebody who's like that, like an employer? Who is like literally just, a, and I've worked with before, where they felt like maybe they could lose their job. And because they've had different situations happen from the upper management, they start freaking out. And as a result of their freaking out and their fear, they start treating everybody like they're pieces of trash, right? So there's this control factor that comes with fear. So we're going to get into a couple different stories, but there's a couple things that I read uh, as I was just going through this, and I just thought about these stories. I started thinking about fear. In, in the Roman Empire back in Jesus' time and disciples' time back then, they used to use uh, crucifixion as a way of, we know this because Jesus was crucified, right? They use this as a way to, to punish or to kill those who are criminals. And it's like today, and nowadays we put people in prison or you might send them to lethal injection or something of that nature. But really, the reason why they did crucifixion, they put them up on a cross, on a hill, where everybody could see them, it was not just about punishing a person, but it was about making a statement. We want everybody to know that if you screw up, you're going to end up here. Right? This is the kind of mindset that the Roman Empire had. They were kind of recognized, people would say that in that time period, that, that there was peace in Rome. And there was peace in Rome because nobody wanted to mess up. Right? Everybody did what they, nobody was coming in to fight Rome the same way nobody comes here to battle us within the United States unless it's cells that are hidden, hiding. But they were a powerful nation. People didn't want to mess with them. They made a statement with crucifixions. I started thinking about their statement and how well it worked because when Jesus went to the cross, Peter, who was bold, became afraid and hid. Denied Jesus three times, didn't want to be associated. Why? Because of the statement that was made of the cross and crucifixion. Fear is a really real thing. What changed Peter's heart? What changed Peter's mind? How did he go from a place of being completely fearful, running and hiding and all those kind of things, to all of a sudden being bold and passionate? And when he preached his first message, he literally called every single person out who was there. While just a short period of time before that, he was running for his life and denying Jesus. We heard it earlier. The word was said, prophetic word, is that when somebody surrenders their heart to the Lord and there's a real fresh encounter with the Lord, all of a sudden, because my eyes are on Him and who He is and how great and how amazing He is, I no longer see right, the things that I was afraid of. That crosses the, the, the potential of me being killed like Jesus was or the potential of me being stoned or the potential. All those kind of faded now because I... How do you think Stephen, while he's in the middle of being stoned, can look up and see an open heaven, Right? And just have that complete, you know, it's almost like he didn't even know what was happening to him, even though it was happening. And being stoned to death was considered a very terrible way to die. Yet Stephen, in the middle of that moment, there was no fear because his eyes were focused on the Lord and on who the Lord is and how great and amazing he is. And, and even if he does die, that he's going to be with the Lord. That's an amazing thing that we get to have. So there's fear all throughout Scripture. We've seen people were gripped with fear. There are two different kinds of fear. There's the, there's the kind of fear that is good, like if you're in a house and it catches on fire. If you're like nonchalant, like that's not a big deal. And go sit down on your bed, like this isn't a big deal. Well, it's going to not be very long before you're gone, right? 
and you're consumed by that fire. So there's a healthy fear that says, this thing's on fire, I need to get out of here, right? Sometimes that happens in life. Sometimes you, you have these moments where you see something that's taking place, and you're like, I got to make a move, I got to do something. But then there's the kind of fear that cripples us to where we can't do anything, we can't move forward. Financial stuff happens in our lives. I mean, we, I use that sometimes as a term because I think everybody here has at one point or another dealt with something financially that stunk, right? We've all dealt with it. But it could be anything. It could be things that we're facing at work. It could be somebody who's being mean. It could be whatever it might be. You're facing things. You're dealing with things. And, and then we have to de- decide how we're going to respond to it. Are we going to be gripped with fear of what the outcome might be? I knew this person one time dealing with a pretty ca- catastrophic loss financially, some things that took place. And instead of dealing with it, every time the mail came, they would just kind of take it and throw it in the garbage. They never even opened it. And never opened it, never opened it, never dealt with it because fear would say, I, I have a feeling I know what's in there and I'd rather not deal with it. But the end result of not dealing with it was they did lose everything. So sometimes fear can cripple us to where we don't take action and we ignore what's right in front of us. We don't want to ignore what's in front of us. We, don't, we want to take responsibility. We want to deal with it. We can't operate in that way of fear. But I'm going to share a story you're all very familiar with. And I'm, I'm going to go into a little bit of Greek, just so you know, just is really good because Greek is just awesome. And I know it, like the whole thing by heart. Yep. Nope. <laughs> but I love Greek. Hebrew. There's cool words. So I'm going to go a little bit into that because in this passage I read a million times. We've all preached it. You've heard 8,000 sermons on this at least in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, 27. It's, it's the storm in the boat story. We're going to share a little bit from Matthew, a little bit from Mark, both different experiences. And it's going to open up really a question for all of us. How do we respond to things? So here we go, verse number 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, a violent storm developed on the sea so that the boat was being covered by the waves. Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So there's two different kinds of fear that take place in this passage, right? Early on, there's the fear of the storm that's taking place. Jesus, save us. It's all falling apart. And then later on, when Jesus calms the storm, there's a new fear that enters the room. They all were terrified. Because if this man can calm the sea, like what kind of man is this? Like there's this fear of the Lord that takes place. It's real and it's awesome. And that's the kind of fear we want to operate in. A matter of fact, every single day. And I think this is important for us who, as the body of Christ and even as those who are leaders. If you're leaders in a corporation, if you're leaders in a church, if you're owning a business, do everything with the fear of the Lord in mind that you know who he is, what he's capable of doing. In other words, there's a decision I feel like the Lord wants me to make, but it's big and it's risky. Do you realize that sometimes the Lord asks you to do risky things? I could tell you testimonies of churches doing, I actually know church leaders, one specifically, I'm not going to get into the story, I don't have a lot of time, but he did what most people would say you're an idiot doing. But it opened up the blessing of God in that church and the things that took place were so amazing because he wasn't afraid of taking risks. Same thing is true with you and I when it comes to our normal life. Every now and then, the Lord is going to ask you to take a risk. It's something that you don't want to do. You're not comfortable with it. It's outside of your comfort zone. But if you feel or sense, if you know the Holy Spirit's telling you to do it, no is the key word because He'll confirm it. Then you then have to begin to respond in obedience to watch the Lord. That's called faith, right? 
Like that's called faith. I think that's called faith. That when the Lord speaks to my heart, gives me some instruction of what I should do, and it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up, and I can't see the end result, there's going to be part of me that says the end result is going to be awful and terrible, and then there's going to be other part of me that says, this is what the Lord says, so whatever happens, happens. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. And then you step out into that, and all of a sudden, if you've ever done this before, every single time it turns out amazing, as long as it was the Lord who was leading So in this passage, Matthew uses the phrase, Behold a violent storm. The word there in the Greek is a word that we also use nowadays here in the English language. The word is seismos. Seismic. What's it called? Seismograph that measures the power of an earthquake. There's different words they would use for storms back then. If this word is used, the idea is that it is the worst almost like it's a tropical storm or a Category 5 hurricane that they're in the middle of. And I think Matthew might be speaking mostly of the way he felt. That this storm was so big, it was so massive, they were filled with so much fear. It was seismic in size, according to Matthew. That was the way that he pictured this. To give you a little bit of something with this, Matthew used this word only three times ever in the book of Matthew. Here are the times he used it. This story here, he used it when Jesus was crucified on the cross and the earth began to shake. And he used it when everything trembled when Jesus was raised from the dead. Death, resurrection, and a storm. Two amazing, great things gave it a seismic, because there is a fear of the Lord that can be seismic. It can be powerful, it can be amazing, it can have lasting impact. But then there are other things like this where you're on the boat and this is so terrifying, so awful to Matthew. Matthew is not a fisherman like the rest of the guys. He's a tax collector, right? You don't hang out on a boat. He's not used to being in the middle of a tropical storm. So to him, he's like, what the heck is going on here? And he is freaking out. And his response then, because I think when you get different stories from different people, like people are like, why did they say the different things? Because I think maybe they said all these things, but you've never been in a situation where something's taking place and there's like 20 of you there. And then you're all there and there's a lot of things happening at the same time. And then you all come out with different views of what took place, but really all of it happened. It's just, I heard this, I heard this, but it all happened. That's what's taking place here. His response was, save us, Lord. We're perishing. There was this fear that you need to wake up and save us as if he's not already understanding what's taking place. Jesus was making, I believe Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He decided ahead of time, I'm going to take a nap because what's the best time to take a nap? It's during a hurricane. When I'm on a boat in the middle of the water. When it's a seismic event, the best time to take a nap was that moment. And Jesus took a nap and he woke him up freaking out in this desperate plea. We are perishing. Save us, Jesus. So I like that because in one way, he's not questioning Jesus, the heart of Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus is the one who's capable of saving him, right? No matter how seismic it is, he acknowledged and knew that Jesus was capable of saving him. But then later on in Mark, and by the way, this was a very, according to what we read in some of the old manuscripts, this was a very sudden storm that came on him quickly. So in other words, you got in a boat with Jesus, you just got done all this ministry. By the way, um, in, in earlier in Mark, I'm about to read Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and 41. So Peter, in the earlier verses, Jesus is um, healing G- Peter's mother-in-law. 
Now, most of us have good mother-in-laws, but we know the stories. I bet Peter was bummed out when that happened. He healed my mother-in-law. Probably not. But shortly after, they have this ministry takes place. She's healed. After she's healed, she serves Jesus. They have all this great ministry time. Then they go and they get on the boat. It's calm. It's relaxed. We just got done ministry time. On the boat, it's all good. If there's a middle of a storm going on, by the way, now I'm not from the south, but I know this. Anybody who stays in a hurricane is insane in my book. Like if the hurricane's happening, I don't own anything that matters. Like I'm out of there, I'll shutter the windows and I'm out of there. I'm definitely not getting on a boat. So this boat was calm still. The storm had not started yet. It was relaxed. So they got onto this boat in a nice relaxed setting and all of a sudden, suddenly it came on them. So you can see why the fear happened to Matthew, the tax collector, who's not used to that. Now Mark chapter 35, verse 41, 35, uh, Mark 4, 35 through 41, you're going to see a completely different kind of response. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them to the boat, in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. So they weren't alone. There were other boats. Mark kind of got the stories from different people and found that out. So there's boats, other boats. And then a fierce gale of wind developed. Different thought process. As a matter of fact, even the words different. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See the difference in how they worded things. One person is like, save us, we're perishing. The other one's, don't you even care? Like we're perishing. Totally different way of saying it. And I wonder sometimes, how do we respond when we're hit with difficult seismic situations or things that take place in our life? Are we filled with fear to the point where we begin to question not... So he could easily say, like, listen, you're, Matthew said it, you know, you're able. You're able to save us. You're able to do that. This is who you are. He could acknowledge. I mean, by now, they had like a plethora of miracles that Jesus had done with them. They knew all of his capabilities. They knew all the things that he did. They seen the miracles. They seen signs. They seen wonders. They seen all the crazy stuff happening. But yet here he is not questioning his ability, not questioning, he's questioning his character. Do you even care, Jesus? How many of us, when we face very difficult circumstances or situations that were seismic, Respond to the Lord saying that word. Like, do you even care? To question his character. That kind of mindset is what gets us to a point where we begin to isolate. He doesn't care anyway. I'm in this alone. Nobody wants to help me, so I'm just going to sit and ignore the mail all the time. I'm just ignoring all the things that are happening around me. I'm ignoring that. I'm getting in this place of sorrow and depression. You understand that fear, by the way, worry and fear are the same thing. You know, worry is you're afraid of what might happen. All fear is, is that you're, you're concerned about what might happen. So it hasn't happened yet. There's no end result yet. Like Jesus, the storm didn't cause him to perish yet. As far as I'm concerned, as long as Jesus is still in the boat, we still have hope. Right? So that's our job, to keep Jesus center. 
Jesus, you are the center. Right now there's a crazy storm going on. It's a perfect opportunity for less of me and more of you. It's a perfect opportunity for me to be fearless in the middle of all these things that are going on and say, Jesus, I know who you are. I know that you're capable. And by the way, not just based, because here's the thing, it's not just based on all the stories I've been told, but it's based on a track record that I have with Jesus that he's always been good. He's always been faithful. He's always poured out his love for me. He's always showed up on time. So why am I full of fear? Self has a tendency to creep in and get in the way. So Jesus responds, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because the key is when the storm gets biggest, that is when our faith should be enlarged. Storm's huge. No big deal. Jesus is in the boat. And Jesus is in the boat, and these are the things that I saw him do. I saw him heal the leper. I saw him do this. I saw him do that. And by the way, the entire time that we've been with him over these years, he's shown nothing but care and love to me. So I shouldn't ask a stupid question about, do you even care for me? And I'm not saying this is a stupid question just to make somebody feel bad, because I've said the same thing. I've been in that place where I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening, and it's been happening now for months, and you have not shown up yet, you must not love me. And the entire time, the Lord's like, no, I'm just waiting for you to acknowledge me. I need you to learn something in this process. I need you to learn that even when you hardly have anything left, that if you become less so that I can become more, faith as a mustard seed, then you can tell that mountain to get out of the way, and it will. So i got to get to a point where I've learned in a situation this might be seismic, but not compared to Jesus. I think about when David killed Goliath, right? Cool story. But every single other person was shaking in their boots around Goliath. They were freaking out, right? They were all freaking out. This is a, I don't even get it. It doesn't make sense to me. You have an entire army. He's one guy standing in the middle of this. Just all go at him at the same time. You ever watch those movies where there's like 20 guys fighting one guy like Bruce Lee? And they, don't, they all come at him one at a time like a bunch of dummies. Like if he's that good at martial arts, I think we should all attack at the same time. That makes sense. To just sit back and let's go one at a time and let them kick our butts and then we'll be over with at the end. That's the way we... But here's the thing is that they're all just standing there and they're in so much fear that they're crippled that little old David, remember we talked about this, just brought the basket. And then he heard the words that were coming out of his mouth. And as soon as he heard Goliath's nonsense, his response was, wait a minute, he's talking about our God? <laughs> What's wrong with all of you? Don't you know who our God is? Sure, he's seismic. But the one who invented seismic stands with us. Right? There's a fear that they all had, but there was somebody who was there that was able to say, it doesn't matter how big he is. Because I've walked with our God, and I know how huge and massive He is, and there's nothing He cannot do. Nothing He cannot accomplish. Fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. You can write that down. Fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. 
that as soon as I get to a place where I'm overwhelmed with fear, all of a sudden I stop forgetting. You understand how this works, right? Fear brings amnesia. It's gotten to a point where it's overwhelming. Now I no longer, here's what happened to disciples, right? They were so overwhelmed by the seismic storm that all their memory was gone of what had happened. Why do we have a testimony? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If you forget all of the things that he's done in this moment while you're dealing with his seismic experience, then you lose your ability to overcome. Because it really is a heart stance and a mindset situation here. I've got to get to a place, okay, listen, I know. So I remember this time he did this when I was in this, this situation. So he's done, it, he's done it here too. He's done it here because it's great that other people have stories, but it's awesome that you have testimonies. Because those things that you remember and you recount, they help you to overcome because you recall his faithfulness. They no longer recalled his faithfulness. Instead, it was corroded and it questioned his character. This is a word from the Lord for somebody today. You're going through something, you're dealing with something, and you're afraid. The Lord simply says this, remember. Remember who I am. Remember whose you are. Remember all the times that I've showed you my faithfulness, my goodness, and my power. Just remember today. There's this story, true story, and I actually found this in an article, so I'm going to read for a bit just for all of you guys, and I'm going to close in just a few minutes here. But Martin Niemöller documents an extreme example of what we'd call fear. He was a German pastor who took a heroic stance against Adolf Hitler. When he first met the dictator in 1933, Niemöller stood at the back of the room and listened. Later, when his wife asked him what he'd learned, he said, I discovered that her Hitler is a terrible, frightened man. Fear releases the tyrant within. That's a pretty powerful little thing that probably nobody else ever noticed about Hitler. But that's fear. Fear does a lot of things. Fear will cause you to become toxic and be, become a person who has this, you become this tyrant within in order to be able to, I want people to, but you also can become the kind of person that you didn't recall or question, you forget who he's, what he's done, you forget his goodness. Disciples had a reason to trust Jesus. By now, they'd seen him heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of, I'm just reading from this, um, what I typed in here. Disease among the people, they had witnessed him heal a leper and touch the servant with a command. Peter saw his sick mother-in-law just moments ago, was healed, and there's more and more and more and more and more. Shouldn't someone mention Jesus' track record? Rather than just, hey, Jesus, do you love us? You don't even love us, do you? When, she, when fear shapes our life, this is what takes place. When we start living in fear, now I'm full of fear not less fear, full of fear. Safety becomes my God. Listen to this today. Safety is not always a good thing. Sometimes it is. But when I live in a bubble of safety to where I no longer can do anything at all that's crazy or risky that the Lord might ask me to do, which by the way, He will. I know I experience it all the time. He always asks me to do crazy things. I like to talk to you guys on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I 
thought, I thought about this week. I'm like, people will probably listen to this sermon and say, can we have less of Pastor Chris <laughs> talking? It's a good sermon series, less. Less is more. Somebody muzzle the ox. <laughs> but safety becomes our God. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds for God, for others? No, fear-filled cannot love deeply. Love is risky. They cannot give to the poor. Benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. That phrase right there, the worship of safety emasculates greatness. Because I'm afraid to take steps of faith. I'm afraid to be bold. Me and Cassie watching these videos the last couple of days of these preachers, we're seeing it starting to, they're starting to happen a lot more where these people are on, on, literally standing on corners with microphones and speakers and just sharing the gospel. And you're seeing it happen, and they're getting confrontation, sometimes tons of confrontation. But I watched one where the guy is in Canada, and there's all these different people who are just coming at him. And there's like literally crowds of like 100 and some odd people, and they're coming at him. And he just, but instead of being like what we're used to seeing, like I remember, I remember being downtown Wyandotte one time, and there's a bunch of people walking around shouting, and they were holding signs that says, turn or burn. I'm like, sorry, but that's not necessarily effective. That's not even the gospel. The, the, the hell's a real place, but the gospel is good news. Like, I don't have to use bad news to get you to come to Jesus. I can just tell you that there is bad news, but because of Jesus, you don't have to have that. It was not, they actually were not effective. And we had conversations when they never were effective. Why weren't they effective? Well, I watched these people on this video sharing the gospel. I watched all the confrontation coming at them. And then I watched them with gentleness and with love handle every single person, even those who are right in their face and yelling, because our society is psycho, by the way. Our society right now is exactly what I saw when Stephen was being stoned, when Jesus was crucified, when you thought there's no way that would ever happen in America. It's happening. The confrontation, just by somebody sharing the love of Jesus, and people talking about, well, this is hate speech. I'm literally talking about love of Jesus, and you're saying it's hate speech. It's because darkness can't comprehend the light, right? There's, there's friction there. And the culture's gotten so dark, but I'm watching this guy handle these things. And then I watched later on as he baptized what was about 50 people or so in the river where they were at who were giving their life to Christ as he ministered right on the streets. That's boldness. The Lord put on his heart to go and do this, and he's like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. This is what God called me to do. I'm going to go do it. A normal person who lives in safety, because that's a lot of us do now, I, that's not me. We make excuses to why we don't evangelize. It's not my personality. It's not what I'm called to do. No, it is what you're called to do. The Bible literally says, for every single one of us, if you are in Christ, to go into the world and do what? Preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. But it's not who, it is who you are, the blood of Jesus that sets you free. If the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, now you might not do it like that guy does it. Not everybody's going to stand on a corner and preach the gospel like he did. But nevertheless, we should preach the gospel. One way or another, we should do it. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, all of a sudden, the idea of risk-free just goes out the door. right? Jesus, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He got up and preached, 
And he was hardcore in his message. All of you crucified him. All of you did this. Remember, remember, you guys all read it? Like he was like in their face after being afraid. He's in their face and 5,000, 3,000 get saved as a result of the boldness that now is in him as a result of the Holy Spirit filling him. The same thing is available to all of us. And it's not just that we should be afraid, have boldness when it comes to preaching the gospel. We should be, have boldness when it comes to being obedient to the Lord. Like if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about doing something, do it. Yes, wrestle with it. You want to make sure there's confirmation. You want to make sure it's from the Lord. You know, we have the Word of God. I think the Word of God is amazing. It gives us the boundaries. We know that if a prophetic word comes forth and it's like outside of the lines of what the Scripture says and teaches, well, we can then test that and say that's not from the Lord. But sometimes when a prophecy is given, you can't even really use the Scripture to say it's true or not because it's within the guidelines. So the only way to know is if it happens or not, right? That takes place. Well, sometimes there are people who have that gift and ability to give a prophetic word, but we're afraid because what if people think it's not from the Lord? I'm going to challenge all of us today. Whatever it is that God has put in you, whatever gift it is, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, He gives you gifts. Don't be afraid. Question, debate with the Lord, wrestle with it, make sure it's in line with Scripture. But then at that point, when it becomes so strong, do not be afraid to step out in faith. We're living in a time where the world needs a church that's bold and not afraid of what might happen. As the Scripture says, the most they could do is kill our mortal bodies. Right? That's all. That's nothing major. You can go be with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the early entrance. That's the most that can happen. There's scripture after scripture. Matter of fact, out of all the things that Jesus preached in, in the Gospels, listen, the, the phrase do not be afraid or do not have fear or whatever is mentioned 24 times. The, next, the thing that's mentioned the next most amount of times was mentioned eight times. So he's serious about us not living in fear. He's serious about us walking by faith and not based on what we see. I have to fear less so that I can be fearless in the Lord. Fearless in the Lord says, the Lord give a mandate, I'm going to do it. Fearless in the Lord says that whatever it is that God calls us to do as a body, like remember last week, we link arms and we move in the power and flow of the Holy Spirit together. There literally is nothing we cannot accomplish. Nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. It's like, imagine a paper that has nothing on it. When I say nothing, I mean there's nothing. That's a list of things that can stop the church when the church is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they decide to kill one of our mortal bodies, guess what? Five more will rise up. That's what takes place when the church is militant like we're supposed to. Not militant like in a weird kind of way, like we're in the woods and that kind of thing. I'm talking about gospel militant. Preaching the gospel, loving people, caring for people, being creative, letting him speak new life into us, letting him give us new ideas. For, what's that, a new idea? I, I, I'm 49 years old. I don't get those anymore. That's why I need like, people who are not 49 years old to give me ideas. But I'm like, that's the idea. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to give us direction that way and then be bold and take steps of faith. My word to all of us today, this is the, not my, just, I feel like this is a word from the Lord prophetically, we'll just say it, um, is, is this, is that, that there's going to come a time soon 
for us as a church, we're going to have to be bold. And we're going to have to do things that maybe seem a little bit wild and uncomfortable. But as long as we know the Lord is speaking, and as long as we're making sure He's the one in the boat directing right where we're going, then at that point we say, let's go. No need to hesitate at that point. Let's just go. There's an enemy in front of us. I'm not going to be like everybody else and stand off to the side and say, whoa, that's a seismic giant. Instead, I'm going to say, okay, we're going to go together and we're going to slay it. And we're going to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. God's purpose. God's purpose is so important for the church. We cannot get lost in a place where we're no longer. Now, we question why we go through things so much. We have some awesome things in Scripture. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to end with this. 4.8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. The enemy will come from every single side, trying to destroy, but at the end of the day, you and I are victorious in Christ, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, the enemy can do to stop a church that puts Jesus in the middle of the boat, but doesn't just put him there, gives him control. Doesn't just give him control, but because he's in the boat, I don't operate in fear anymore. I don't have to because I know he's with me. Fear less so we can become fearless. Fear less so we become fearless. Thank you, Lord. Job, who had been through a ton of things, a ton of things, said this. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. This is Job 42, so he already had a lot of stuff that he'd been dealing with. In the original, in the Hebrew, it's really saying that none of your plans fail. Is really what he's trying to say in this passage. I know that none of your plans can fail. We're going to end with this quote and we're going to pray. There's a video that we're going to play in closing today. This quote, great things never came from comfort zones. Great things never came from comfort zones. Being comfortable is an enemy of the kingdom. It is an enemy of the kingdom. That's why God did what he did with Paul, put a thorn in your flesh. Why? Because it pricked you, made you uncomfortable. We're more effective when we're uncomfortable because then we have to depend on the Lord. So my prayer for all of us right now, Lord, make us uncomfortable. I'm going to pray that. We're going to get ready to play. Get ready to play this video in closing today. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us. God, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name, and I know this is your heart. I know you want to because you want to stir your church to good works. You want to stir your church to advance your kingdom. You want us to be bold. You want us to preach the gospel. You want us to love our neighbors ourselves. You want us to operate and move as one. But fear can cripple us sometimes. We, play, we live in a safe place. Lord, you're calling us out of safety. I pray in this process that you would make us uncomfortable, that you would make it hard for us to stay. Make it hard for us to stay in the place that we're at now, Lord. Lord, that we would move forward in your power, led by your Spirit. And as we do that, Lord, you just continually would wrestle with us, continue to poke us, continue to prod us, that we become more and more and more and more like you, that there be less of us and more of you, that you would be glorified in every single thing that we accomplish, Lord, for you, God. We ask in Jesus' name that we would be fruitful.
And the only way we will be fruitful is if we surrender. The only way we'll be fruitful is if we operate in a fearless way. Help us to be fearless today, Lord Jesus. Fearless when it comes to our life and our circumstances and the things we're dealing with, we know you're in the boat with us. Fearless as a church, as we move forward. There are things in front of us, your purposes, your plans, they shall not fail unless we get in the way. So Lord, we not get in the way. Instead, we will not be comfortable. We will line up with you no matter how much it hurts. And it hurts. But we do it anyway. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.